0: Colin Horton. I'm an award-winning surveyor, part-time property investor and self-confessed entrepreneur. I believe that business is all about getting to know the people that you're dealing with and that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be having in-depth chats, asking personal questions and ultimately getting candid. Guys, guys, uh, welcome to another show of Candid Chat. Um, I'm joined today by the wonderful Shabnam, who I have recently become friends with over the last probably two or three months, and purely by work, and do you know what, it's been a really lovely kind of relationship holiday period. Is that the right thing? I don't know It's that's the right <laughs> phrase to use, but um, I brought her on the show because she's really lovely to listen to, uh, got a lovely tone about her, and I think you guys will really find her interesting. So Shabnam, do you want to introduce yourself to um, my six listeners?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Colin. Well, thanks for that lovely introduction. I hope I do a little bit of justice during this, during this podcast. But yeah, so I'm Shabnam. I am a senior associate with Russell Cook Solicitors, and I'm in the enfranchisement team. So we specialize in all kinds of exciting residential leasehold issues like freehold purchase, right to manage and that sort of thing. But in my personal life, I am a, I'm a human being, I like to go out when there's not a lockdown and spend time with my family and friends. I'm also a qualified yoga teacher, so I really enjoy doing that on the side and I like fighting with swords. It's just another hobby that I have, which I might talk about later if it comes into it. No,
0: I think we'll, we'll get you to talk about that People <laughs> 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 want to know what you mean. Um, so, I mean, with the podcast, we tried and kind of structure it so we can get to know you a little bit and help kind of grow your personal brand and just get to know you a little bit and kind of hopefully allow someone to enjoy the next 45 minutes of their life by listening to us to ramble on. <laughs> so what I'm wanting to, well, I'll tell you what, let's talk about your source fighting because I think people probably want to know what that is. Um, yeah, w-
1: wicked, no problems. So I've been doing it for about since 2014, and a friend of mine where I used to work, so I used to work for the leasehold advisory service. He was doing the training, and he said, "You know, Shabs, do you want to come along?" And I thought, "Yeah, why not?" I've, I've done, I did a little bit of martial arts when I was a kid, but not for very long. I think I only got to like yellow belt in karate or something. So that's like completely gone. But I went along to the training. It was just near me in Barking, and it's it was brilliant. So it was like swords, daggers, wrestling. And it was really good fun. And one thing I noticed is it was a lot of blokes that did it at the time. And since I've been there, we've got more women, more people from different backgrounds. So it's been really good fun. So it's really good exercise as well. And you do work up a sweat during some of the sessions. But I really miss that we haven't been able to train. I mean, we went back for a few weeks in September, I think, and then we got locked down again. So I'm well, probably not that well, great at it now.
0: So in my head I have a vision of a standard fencer. I mean, not that that's even a thing and you know, but a standard fencer with a big kind of mask on their face. Is that what you wear?
1: Kind of, yeah. So we wear, we wear the fencing mask because you have to wear protective, protective stuff. And I've got a fencing jacket and I do have a sword. I finally bought one. I think i have been training for about two years and I thought, yeah, I think I like this. So I'm going to invest in some of the kits rather than keep borrowing someone else's. So I've got a sword. I've got a dagger, which is basically just a bit of a banister. but Because <laughs> you can't use a real dagger in, in training. But I did buy a real dagger during lockdown. I think a lot of us a lot of us who trained bought extra weapons during lockdown because we were hoping that when we when we start again we'll just have loads of kit and we can just go crazy.
0: You're you're from Ilford, aren't you?
1: Yeah, from Ilford. Probably,
0: you probably need that anyway in Ilford, don't
1: you? <laughs> yeah, you do. I always I always tell people that it's East London and my husband's insistent. He's like, no, it's Essex. And I'm like, as if that's a bad thing anyway. But I'm like, no, yeah. it's East London, but I'm proud to be Essex as well.
0: Where do, you, where, where do you buy these daggers from?
1: Well, the sword I got from, um, from Europe, actually, that so you normally can get them from places like Finland and, you know, sort of Germany and Austria, those sorts of places, and Poland as well. I think there's a few few suppliers out there. And the dagger I bought actually from a guy called Todd's Workshop. I think he's in Essex as well, and he makes them himself and does all that sort of stuff. It's brilliant.
0: That's really cool. That's, that's uh, your first person. Well, I'm actually, saying that, my best mate, Done fencing back in the day. And you, we, I mean, we, he gets a lot of abuse from us because he doesn't ever talk about it. And he used to like say, I was the second best in Essex. And I was <laughs> like, Yeah.
1: <laughs> but this isn't fencing though, because a lot of people think it is. And I understand that because it's like you've you got a sword and you've got the kit. But it's, it's what we do, the, the school that I'm with is we fo- follow an Italian manuscript by a guy called Fiore di Liberi, who was just this Italian dude who was into fighting. So he wrote a manuscript, it's all in Italian. And we, we learn all the plays from that. And they basically create the whole curriculum. So you do grading as well. So I've done, um, I did my first grade in, you know, short, not long after I joined. And then well, actually one thing I'm, I know this is one of your later questions, but one thing I am quite proud of, and I hate, I don't like boasting or I'm really crap at selling myself. But one thing I'm quite proud of is that me and another lady, we're both the only two women that passed our second grade in. So I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> It was nearly over a year ago. So, you know, we normally do like a moot at the end of the year where they get everyone together from all over the UK and a couple of the guys from the States come as well. And we normally do grading then. So I was hoping all the progress, but, you know, just got to wait till this uh, is it, over.
0: You tell know what, the amount of times I've, I've had guests on, they haven't really got any hobbies. I mean, they like, oh, my kids. I'm
1: bloody us Yeah, I know a what you
0: like, mean, yeah. I
1: mean,
0: I'm, I'm, I doubt anyone's going to beat this as a hobby. So, um <laughs> Take, take, the, take the medal for that one. I mean, but we
1: my got. Mom, of... My mum used to hate it though. My mum would like, when I when I lived at home. I mean, I, I live on my own now. Thankfully, I, I live with my husband now. Sorry, not on my own.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish sometimes dream dream to that stage where I lived on my own for a bit. But when I used to live at home, I used to come back from training, so I'd have like my backpack my and backpack. I have my sword and I have my drag dagger in the side, and my mum would be like, "When are you going to grow up? You like it's like something out of Lord of the Rings. Like, when are you going to get married and
0: settle for are you Are, are not legal? Like, to walk around here.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think so I should know this really, but I think they are because we've got like an insurance card that you can sort of whip out if you get stopped by anyone. But I always I keep mine in a in a ski bag
0: classic
1: so I'm basically the, I'm like when I used to go to the Putney office because obviously I'm working from home and when I when I was work, coming from the Putney office on Wednesdays I used to travel all the way on the district line from East Putney to Barkin. and I was basically an Asian person on the train with a massive backpack
0: yeah, boy. A short, yeah.
1: not, not dodgy at all
0: no it's uh, I mean it's well you have to explain that as well the she's open your back yeah, yeah it's very hard to explain <laughs> yeah
1: exactly <certainly. laughs>
0: So, we've got. I've sent you a couple of questions before, and I think what I've learned um, over the last couple of podcasts is it's very nice just to flow flow organically and don't keep too regimented. Um, Now, I know you're obviously a very kind of high profile sister, especially in my sector. Um, You're one of the fellow kind of LinkedIn disruptors that I see out there. (laughs) And I sense that you're held back a bit by the fact that you are just a lawyer and you can't, not just a lawyer, but you can't necessarily say some things you want to say. Um, Obviously, this podcast called Candid because the aim was to get candid with the people uh, that we're speaking to. And, I mean, yeah. how much can you be in life or business? I know it's difficult for you because you have to be quite uh, aware of the old company ethos. Um, how do you deal with that? Is it difficult not being able to kind of say what you want to say sometimes? And
1: it can be. Yeah, it can be. But, I mean, the good thing about Russell Cook, where I work, is that they are pretty – they're more open at the top and they understand that there's certain ways that you can express yourself. And I think they're trying to move away from sort of lawyers being just gray men, you know, so we, we, you know, we're quite, we're a relatively diverse firm. So I think it's quite good in that sense. And I think people recognize with me that I'm quite loud and a little bit Larry and I've got a way of expressing myself that might not be always the Queen's English. But one thing I'm quite so what I suppose proud of is that I explain things in a way that people get, that hopefully they understand, whether they agree with it or not. I sort of like give it to them in little chunks. So it makes sense. Especially with leasehold, and you know this as well. It's it's a complex area, isn't it? And a lot of people don't even understand what a lease is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. They've got to they don't know what their obligations yeah. are. And, and I suppose from Absolutely. where I used to work for the leasehold advisory service, we, we spoke to so many people that didn't understand the basics. And you do get good at explaining it to them. But yeah, sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes you wish, like, you could just go, you know, but you have to sort of rein it in a little bit because at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm a representative of Russell Cook, so I have to be respectful of that as well.
0: i yeah, it's the only reason I quit and started my own firm so I could say what I want to people be because I was so totally frustrated not being able to. Like, um, I've had a couple of clients recently that have been a real kind of thorn in my side and. Um, I think somebody, we've always been, uh, my previous guest, Rebecca, she works kind on of the customer service journey for companies to kind of explain how best to operate your company when it comes to customer service and get the best out of your company. She's like, what you really want to do is get complaints. You want complaints so you can make your company better. A lot of people don't bother complaining. Um, and I completely forgot where I'm going with this. Where am I going with this? It was, uh, <laughs> I'm not, not, not a natural podcaster. Um, <laughs> But yeah, basically, what I was basically saying is, there's been points where I've had clients who are wanting to get rid of. If I'm honest, but you, as a small business, you are kind of always chasing the pound. You're always kind of yeah. making sure you're open and stuff. Um, have you really, like obviously you don't have to say names or whatever, but how do you how do you deal with people that think they're right? You know, they're you know they're not right. How do you handle those kind of people? Because you must uh, doing what you do, especially these advisory as well. Back in the day. It must be really tough because you—it's very, very opinionated sector where people think they're right. It's their property; they're very emotional. How do you handle uh, kind of clients that are wrong because they're not always right?
1: I think uh, I we think- used to. It's a really good question, actually. But we used to get it a lot more when I worked for the leasehold advisory service because at least you were on the phones all the time. It was just constant. I think it's calmed down a bit now. They the way they do it, but we used to just get calls coming in, and because it was a free service. People would be holding for a long time because we we're really busy. So you, you did encounter quite a lot of frustrated, angry, agitated people. And sometimes it was a case of, you know, we're just the messenger. So I sometimes even used to say, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what your, what your obligations are. But it was frustrating, I have to admit, because I remember having a client, at least, this is years ago, who came to see me. And she seemed really, like, lovely and mild and meek. And then she was like, why am I paying for the roof? I'm a ground floor flat. And then when I went through her lease, I said, well, actually, you do need to pay for it. And she just started effing and blinding. She was really angry and almost angry at me. And I was like, just chill out, you know. And I had to sort of like empathize with her and sort of slowly calm her down. And I think we did, we did get training on that sort of thing as well, how to deal with those kind of clients. But I did have some clients where you'd advise them especially on things like the right of first refusal where you generally have to offer the freehold to the leaseholders, that sort of thing. And I used to get clients that just wouldn't believe it. Like I remember advising a guy saying, you have to do this, blah, blah, blah. And because of maybe the way I sounded on the phone, and, and I think because I was a woman actually, he said, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you're telling me. And I was like, but I'm telling you the, telling you the truth. It's the, the law. And he actually asked to be put through to someone else. And like, if it had been my own company, I would have been like, just put the phone down, but obviously you can't do that. And I had to put it through to a guy. Who basically, said the same thing. He goes, "My manager has confirmed the position already." And then he then he was all right, but that did annoy me actually. So you, I did occasionally get clients like that, but sometimes it was a case of agree to disagree. But usually, usually they would they would come around to your way of thinking, but it wasn't always that easy to be honest.
0: It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to it's okay people that are hell-bent on someone getting in trouble for a certain situation um, But it's,
1: it's funny though because i it just reminds me of another story because even like where i was before or where i'm now i've always you know worked for a company so you know although you have a, it's fairly open you still have to operate within certain parameters so you, you you don't have the as much of a license as you know maybe you do with, with being your own boss i suppose um, and there's sometimes things you want to say to people. Maybe not so much now in private practice, thankfully. But when I was at Leeds, you know, you, there were clients that would actually be really rude, and they'd they'd become a bit personal on the phone. And you'd love to be able to just give as good as you get, but you can't. And I think I had um, I only had two complaints when I was at Leeds, which is pretty good for 14 years. And one of them was just one of them was just a like crazy person who was just completely no, no grounds to his complaint. But one of them actually was this lady and um, my boss said, I have to uphold parts of a complaint. And we, heard, we listened to the call together because all the calls were recorded and he was like, shabs, shab, no," nah. And I basically got into an argument with this client because I think your patience wears thin, doesn't it? And it was such a busy job. And most of the time you're like, yes, I understand. And you're kind of like gritting your teeth. But this lady that was on the phone. She was actually really nice in the end, but she was speaking to a colleague and she didn't want to speak to him. She didn't like him. And he, he said, you don't need to come in. We've already advised you. And she's like, I want to speak to your manager, blah, 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 which was me. And I was like behind him going, yeah, just put her through. And I spoke to her and she just started arguing with me because I basically agreed with my colleague. I said, look, you know, there's no benefit in you coming in. We're a very stretched organization and you're going to come in and we're just going to tell you exactly the same thing. And I don't know, maybe it was just one of those days And, you know, we're only human, aren't we, at the end of the day? And I just got into an argument with her because she said, right, I'm going to complain about you. So she's complaining about him, and now she wants to complain about me. And then I just kind of lost it a bit, and I I, I do kind of regret it, but in a way it was quite liberating (laughs) because it was just like I did it. And I just said to her, why, why are you being like this? I said, after everything we've done for you, like I've seen you called us so many times and we've advised you so many times and we've written to you so many times. And the one time you don't get your way, you're going to complain. And it was, it was inappropriate. It was. And we were both just like raising voices. And you know, when you're like, Someone's raising their voice, and if you raise your voice, it's not really going to help, is it? We got into an Georgia argument.
0: Not been a really helpful situation generally. If you laugh at them, that will really put fuel on the fire. So don't oh, ever do that.
1: It was crazy because then she went. She still went to complain about me, and then I said, "Well, my boss is the chief executive, so she had to complain to him." And then, and then he was like trying to calm her down, and he basically said, "You've got to see her, and you've got to see her ASAP." And then I saw her and she was really nice in person. And she actually said, yeah, you're right. I didn't really need to come in. You probably could have written this to me. So I was like, it was okay then. Cause she was all right. She kind of understood. But yeah, that was the one time I kind of let myself go. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's I mean, my, One thing I've learned is like, just never respond straight away to an email. Like I had this email, I so was trying to agree my fees. So if anyone doesn't really know, then Lisa will be have to agree to fees. They're set fees so that have to be agreed kind of between the parties. And I had a case, and I was trying to agree my fee. It was a bit of my own company. I've got overheads to run. I think people forget that. Um, I'm not a chartered surveyor. I'm a registered valuer. Uh, I seem to be chartered, though. But anyway, this woman referred to me as um, a grade D surveyor.
1: Oh, my gosh, really?
0: And it really cut, cut me cut me deep. My own insecurities, and I went to town on this, on this woman, whose company is registered in France, and uh, you probably know who they are. They're really—they offer really cheap legal. Don't use them; they rubbish. Um, <laughs> them. But um, anyway, I just went to town on it, and I was—I was, I was embarrassed about how immature I came back. I was really naive. To me. <laughs> I was like, I read the email back. I was like, oh my god, Carl, what have you done? <laughs> but anyway, I got the fees that I wanted in the end. Touch wood, luckily. Um, it was a bit embarrassing, so I like, just never make knee-jerk <laughs> knee-jerk reactions to stuff. Um, so, kind of um, that kind of point moves me on to the next point I wanted to chat to you about. So, one of the things I like to know about people is what scares them. Not because it's like, I want to go out and scare them. It's just for me, like I get scared about a lot of things. I'm often terrified about, you know, I've got enough overheads to cover the company. Where's my next instruction coming from? I've got to pay my massive tax bill. Like, what what are your professional kind of? personal fears um in life if you want but you can be deep if you want but I hate spiders I really hate (laughs) spiders I I
1: think my biggest professional fear I suppose is when you when someone doesn't have confidence in you because I think one of the things I'm striving for and particularly over the last few months is to sort of build my own brand, build the personal profile, but build my brand within the confines of being an employee of Russell Cook. So it's you know slightly different to what you're doing. Um, so one of the things that w- would scare me, I suppose, is to, for people to not trust in me and not have confidence in me and not think, oh, you know, she's an expert in her field. And sometimes you get that. I've occasionally had that with clients who might not, if, you, if you're not on the same page, if they're trying to instruct you on something, it's not entirely straightforward. And then you don't always get it right first off. And then that that kind of can scare me a little bit when a client says, oh, you know, you've misunderstood my instructions or I don't have confidence in you. So I think that's uh, that's probably my biggest professional fear, is people not believing in me.
0: Yeah, I think that's something for anyone aspirational, though, or career-minded, I think that's always one that's going to be at the back back of everyone's. Because people that are content generally don't give to, two shits, but they're generally not in great jobs. They're generally at the lower end because they're just content they're not bothered about what people think but i'm so i'm so bothered like what you think about me oh like after this i'll be like did she have to think that was all right did i do all right you know and it's it's that <laughs> stuff that drives you better and better you know so it's um that's, uh, that's that's it's nice that you can open up and kind of be honest about that stuff because it is it's almost like an insecurity really for us isn't it it's the aspirational people i find are generally sometimes the most insecure about themselves uh you obviously you strike me as a secure lady generally, but, I think it's, we a it's
1: a facade. It's a facade. But I do, I do have like I think when you get, I mean, thankfully, touch wood, it doesn't happen a lot. But occasionally, you do get a client who might think that you're not necessarily doing the best for them, and they sort of they, they do say to you, "Do you understand what I'm asking you to do?" And it does make you look back and sort of look into yourself and sort of start doubting yourself, actually. And it's an, it's frustrating, really, because those kind of clients are so few and far between. Thankfully and what i need to work on definitely is not to focus on those ones so much and actually think you know most of your clients are happy with what you do and you do you do a good job but i think it's really easy to get let those ones get you down and you know we used to get it at least a lot when you had if you had you could deal with like 35 calls in one day but you'd only really remember the one call that was a bit rude or didn't really gel with you or something. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: That kind of on, Anything in life, though. You could have a thousand comments that are brilliant and mean, one negative. You're focus on that negative.
1: Yeah, it's true, isn't
0: it? Stupid humans are programmed. It's just <laughs> the way it's. Hold um, on, oh, what have I done here? I'm trying to mute that. but can you hear me? Is that all right?
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: So, um, in terms of yourself, would you hire yourself?
1: Yeah, I think so. I know that sounds really, that sounds really arrogant, actually. But you know, I think I think I would, to be honest, because I know myself, isn't it? So I don't know how I'd necessarily come across at in an interview, but I think you know, I think I'm good at what I do. I'm good at from the job point of view. I'm good. You know, I've got loads of other sort of experience in terms of you know extracurricular stuff. Because when you're hiring a lawyer, you don't want someone that just knows about the area of law and has those all the sort of the hard stuff, isn't it? So the client care skills and things like that. You want someone that's got a bit of get up and go. Someone's gonna that's gonna step out of their comfort zone, and I think in this area as well, it's important to have people that are up for like having a, an opinion about things, which is what I like to have. Hopefully, within certain constraints, obviously, and someone that's willing to sort of write about it, speak about it, and I think I think I've shown that a bit more lately as well. So I would.
0: <laughs> well, I've always kept an open eye on kind of LinkedIn and keeping an eye on the people because se- our sector. So, if anyone does know, our sector's probably got maybe 300 practitioners across the boards. I don't think there's much more than that. I'd be surprised yeah. if there was. Um, so, you, you get to know everyone pretty quickly. Uh, it's like a school year. And um, you kind of keep an eye on LinkedIn to see who else is making a bit of a noise out there. And there's some other sabbats out there that do make a noise. That's partly why I think I've done well, because all my rivals are about 80 and on death's door. And you know, <laughs>
1: They they You're
0: like a breath of, breath of fresh air in the surveying world. <laughs> I, I like to think so. I mean, I don't think after moving heard what a podcast is. Do you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> um, it's done me all right. And I think with lawyers, I've, I've noticed a couple of lawyers try and get out and kind of put themselves out there. But what was nice about you is you do actually put yourself out there. You actually video yourself. You put your actual face face out there. And I think that's nice because sometimes people just put articles out there. And generally, sometimes law articles are a little tedious to a degree yeah exactly I put out Jesus boring and I think that's you I like watching you grow your personal brand and I think maybe that'll be kind of what we touch on now I think it's so important that people do grow their personal brand especially in in the career where you're at now where you're trying to actually get to the top of wherever you're you're at and I think having a a personal brand is is key to that because you're going to attract clients because they're going to want to work. I mean nothing's to Russell Cook but they're going to want to work with you not Russell Cook you know that's that's I think what happens when you have your personal brand, it it creates value in you as a person. I mean, how how have you what kind of made you want to kind of grow your brand as Shabnam? What was the is that your brand name or are you gonna go (laughs) with
1: Let's go with that. I think it's just like I suppose in a way it's just to to show people that there's different kinds of solicitors out there. And I think I I wanna try and bring that diversity into it as well because I'm just an ordinary person. Like a lot of lawyers are you know, can be a little bit stuffy. And there's like, you know, I trained as a barrister originally as well and cross-qualified as a solicitor a long time ago. But it was a very much sort of who you know, not what you know sort of environment. Oh, my dad's a lawyer or my mum's a judge or whatever. So it was all connections. And I'm just trying to inject a little bit of hopefully freshness and difference into it that, you know, lots of different people can be lawyers. You can still have a personality. And like you say, there's quite a few people on LinkedIn now that you see you get to know them as individuals, not just what they know about their area of law. I think that's what I'm trying to bring to it. And and like you say, that's what people will see on LinkedIn. And hopefully if they like that, then they'll approach you because I've I've had a couple of clients through LinkedIn, actually, which is good. People have seen my posts and and even my posts. I mean, I don't always post about law. I post a lot more about mental health because that's like a big thing for me. And it's been like, a, it's still a journey for me because I used to be very closed about talking about mental health. So
0: where does that come from, is it personal? Yeah, family. definitely.
1: Yeah, a bit of everything, really, because I I come from a family of just crazy people anyway. But I think um, for me, like, I've had, like, I've suffered from anxiety for many, many years. Um, I've had, like, imposter syndrome. I still do sometimes. Like, really, like, lack of self-confidence issues. And I think su- a lot of it stems from, even childhood, actually, to be honest, like, I I remember specific like incidences that have happened when I was a kid that really knocked my confidence. About I'm telling, it's really stupid, but even like about how you look, yeah, and it made me think, oh, you know, because when I was at school, there was there weren't that many. There were more. There were some Asian kids, but there weren't that many. It was still like predominantly white school, and even in my class, like a lot of the other girls in that class were, you know, pretty blonde white white girls you know they were pretty they were nice people as well though and I just always felt like they got more attention and I was always like the nerdy funny one you know and I think I kind of that sort of stuck in my head that so I always had this thing about how I looked as well I think and I'll tell you one story this is quite bad actually might make you cry but when I was when I was like I think eight or nine I was really young actually and I was walking back to school and these two guys were in the car and they bibbed me and they went oi and I looked back and they went ugly and they carried on driving, and I was so upset.
0: Year eight or nine.
1: I was aged eight Jesus. or nine. Yeah, and, and it really knocked me because it made me start thinking, "Oh my god, maybe I'm not that. Like, I'm not good at anything. I'm ugly," and it just like it affected me for years. It was really bad, actually. People don't realise like. Well, why would a grown-up say that to a kid anyway? I mean, that's messed I messed mean,
0: that, Yeah, I mean, that is weird. <laughs> I mean, that's
1: that's weird. But there was like a couple of instances like that as well. So I think – so that's why I think so – that's why mental health is really important for me. And I hate the idea of people, like, suffering, suffering in silence and not speaking up about it. Because it's not a weakness. It's not a weakness to say, I need help or I've got issues or I've got problems. And I think that's what I've always felt in my head, not – in the past, not to talk about it so much because you have to, like, keep strong and show people that you're strong. But I think actually speaking about it is what makes you strong, isn't it? Honest, I,
0: I, I mean, I'm I, know I find it endearing when I speak to people who have had kind of mental health issues or problems or are related to it. Like I've gone from my own problems and not it's not ideal, you know. I've, I've dealt with, you know, my, my ex-blessor. She went through terrible depression and I got, you know, got through that and that was horrible, you know. You start hearing words that, you never wish you'd ever want to hear someone that you love say and it was it's hard you know and it's um I think now I think the only issue I think I, I do find it is that people are very keen as an employer as well people are keen to throw it away throw it around if they're trying to not the people that I would ever employ hopefully but the people are quite quick to throw it around to get out of doing stuff yeah and, and um but it's it is hard you know and I think with social media as well at the moment, it's. I can see why people, like, I, I used to get bullied that much. I used to have really bad teeth when I was younger. like, oh, I, looked really? like I looked like my dad was, was like, my mum's sister. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> like, like, they looked proper related. I looked awful. I was such an ugly kid. Like, like I couldn't have been a more ugly kid. And oh. um, so, I resonate with kind of what you were saying. And it stuck with me all these years. I would never smile in any of my photos. And you see what it's <gasps> Yeah, I'm like, so if you ever see me smile, it, it's probably forced smile, and I'd love to smile more, but it's just in my, my, my muscles never grew to smile. It's quite sad. <laughs> <isn't> it?
1: <laughs> That's so true. Because I had this whole thing about my teeth. Because my mum used to say, and I think it's an Asian thing, because like girls shouldn't be too leery in Asian culture and laughing and joking. You've got to be sort of like more dainty. And if I laugh, my mum used to say, to, actually used to say to me, like close your mouth or like don't show your teeth. Really? Really, but I love my mum. But she did all mess with my head a little bit. Asia, are, are you
0: from? Where's your my wrong? family's are from? You? Pakistan. Aye. Oh, yeah.
1: So for years, I had a complex about my teeth, and I didn't like. Yeah, like exactly same as you. I didn't like smiling and stuff in photos and things like that. Now I'm like, I don't really don't care as much. Obviously, as you get older, it happens. You
0: have you been to Pakistan?
1: Yeah, I've been. I think I've been four times. But the last time I went was 2005. A long time ago. We always choose, like, the because I think I went twice when I was a kid. And then the third time I went, we always choose bad times to go to Pakistan. I think the third time I went was, like, two weeks after September the 11th. And everyone was like, are you seriously going to Pakistan now? And I was like, we've got flights. <laughs> we can't get refunds. So we went. And my brother was getting married. And I think the, the last time I went was actually just after the Kashmir earthquake. <laughs> so a bit mad, sure. really. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, saw it, wife? though. Yeah. yeah. Well, the aftermath, we drove up there. Like tourists out of our van looking at all the debris and
0: stuff. I'll grant it; it's not, it's never a part of the world I ever fancy going. My ex is Iranian.
1: And, oh wow, um, okay.
0: Yeah, it was cold. you know, again, it's never been somewhere I'd want to go. I don't know why. It's just preconceived. I know there's some beautiful parts around there, but it's never really been something that's appealed to me. Really, I'd love to travel
1: why. around there because it is. It, I think it's really underrated as a like a travel destination because everyone's always going on about India. Like I've been to India. I went on holiday to India about 10, 11 years ago, and it was beautiful. But Pakistan is just,
0: yeah, it's incredible. Where, where did you go? Uh?
1: <laughs> that was good though. India was good fun though. I try- it was funny though, because I went with a friend of mine and we were trying to get multiple visas so we could go into Pakistan for a bit and come back. but because I because I was going to India and I am you know Pakistani origin and my parents are Pakistani, they wouldn't they I wasn't even able, they, they, it was even a struggle to get a visa because they were like, you're from Pakistan, why do you want to come to India? And I had yeah. to get a letter from my employer and everything, but they wouldn't let me do the um double entry, so I had to just just go into <laughs> Pakistan, sorry, and then come back, oh, go into India, and then come back out. So yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so off of the tangent of Pakistan. Um, what's your
1: What's your background, Colin? Then.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, for the ladies out there, I'm half Italian. <laughs> Uh, for the authorities, it's uh called Italian, caught Polish. So every time oh, cool I go to the home. car wash, I kind of resonate with my fellow car washers over there. <laughs> but um now, my granddad was, uh, so my, my family story is pretty deep, actually. So my granddad lived in Poland, came over, uh, was a prisoner of war during the war. It was a staunch oh, wow. Catholic and wouldn't um, stamp on the cross. So I was a proper prisoner of war, uh, Catholic, but well, not one of them, not like Auschwitz or anything, but still. Anyway, my nan came over here as one of the workers from Italy, bless her. Um, my granddad, though, the little devil, was still married in Poland. <laughs> he basically just didn't tell his wife that he wasn't dead and just moved to England. Um, <laughs> but my nan, bless her, sweetest little thing in the world, but she had full-on schizophrenia. So, word oh. of English. Um, she made some nice pasta and that, but like she was like, she was not, yeah, she wasn't all there. But I mean, she's long gone now. Bless her. We, um, she's passed her away. I <laughs> <laughs> but, um, my granddad. I never met my granddad, but I met my nan. My nan was lovely. But um, yes, man, my dad's side's all English, but. I don't really talk to me old man, so um, give me a little violin out. And I do, 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 do. But, um, but yeah, so um, but I think they had like Indian heritage all the way back back oh, in the day. Yeah. I don't know where? But my nan was a bit one of those, like old school English people. She was like, I'm not bloody Indian. I'm not Indian. I'm English. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're Indian then. <laughs> um, not just racist or anything, but it's just back in the day. They was like she was just English. English different time. But,
1: yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: All my grandparents are dead. I've got like longevity of like loaf of bread, so I'm not sure how long I've got left with it. Now, so <laughs> maybe whole meal, maybe not white bread, but um, but yeah, I don't know where I've gone off on the tangent. Let's talk about bread. Um, <laughs> so in terms of, um, I know we can't touch on everything today, but in terms of your personal and professional successes, I mean, what what's I mean, personally, what's the biggest one for you? And everyone says. You know, kids and that. If you ain't got kids, fine. But don't say kids because that's not something. Something else. Something you have um, you're, you're fencing. You're, you're yoga. What about your yoga?
1: Yeah. Well, shock horror. I don't have kids.
0: Really? Oh I, I, yeah. Uh, I think that's, a, I think that's a lawyer thing. I just don't think I have kids. No, I don't have any words. I don't kids. have
1: kids, but I think for I think personal success. I suppose would be would be the yoga because I qualified as a yoga teacher a few years ago and I do teach yoga for work. I used to have some, I used to do a little bit of other stuff, but been doing it online since beginning of lockdown. So I'm quite proud of that. I I think I
0: will share share the link for you, so you might get maybe six new subscribers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, double double my subscribers. I think I'm on YouTube but I've only got like 30 subscribers, but hey. (laughs) It doesn't
0: matter. What's your best position on the yoga for anyone that does yoga? What's your favourite?
1: My favourite position in yoga actually is butterfly forward fold. So it's where you put your feet together and like your yeah. soles are like open like that. So your knees are out and then you just like breathe in and then you just fold forward. It's really nice. It's really nice little thing to do at the end of the class.
0: It sounds nice. Yeah. I'll give that so it's go. not all
1: about, you know, it's not all about headstands and handstands. And you see people what flying Lotus? around on Instagram. Sorry, I'm keeping it real.
0: <laughs> Lotus, is that one? Lotus, is that a thing? Yeah. Yes.
1: So, Lotus is where yeah, you've got might- the legs over each other, sort of like, like that sort of thing.
0: What's the hardest one? What's, like, the peak?
1: For like- me, to be honest, I am still working on my handstand. I'd love to be able to do the handstand. I reckon oh, I could do it when I was a kid, but...
0: Handstands are hard, they're hard generally for anyone. But,
1: oh. Yeah, so I'm working on that. I did, um, I d- I'm still doing it against the wall. I managed to get a little bit of airtime sometimes, but I did actually post something on my Instagram a-, a while ago where I was just behind me. I normally have like my clothes horse when I'm drying my clothes. And for some stupid reason, I thought, let's use that as a support for doing your handstand practice. And there's like a video of me going like that, and my legs are like, oh, and I just fall into the whole clothes stand and it falls over really hurt my bum doing it it was so painful but it was like a proper proper blunder but I posted it I thought yeah just post it this is it this is all of it
0: everyone really cares about the finish everyone wants to see the journey you know that's
1: the thing and that's what I do when I teach I always say to my to my yogis it's not how far you go it's
0: how you go is that what they're cool, yogis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: that's right. It's the journey, isn't it? I think that's more important. That's what you. And I think actually, saying about the journey, I think that's what people find exciting about anything they're doing, like a venture or a goal they've got. It's the journey that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's getting there, isn't it? Like, I've just literally finished my flat off, and I'm. I've just like, yeah, I'm gonna sell it. So that's it. Like, like life. I just. It's all about the journey. Like get when you get there, it's, you want to go somewhere else. And I think that's the difference between certain people. I think certain people get to, a, get to the destination and want to go somewhere else, whereas certain people get to that destination and that's the destination. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's a, yeah, it's pretty deep there, actually. It's quite sad, actually. <laughs> pretty sad. I <laughs> just want to be happy. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what would you tell young baby chefs if you could give us well about Probably, I'll go on. Or three three words to take with her through her life that she you can you can expand on why you chose those words, but three words that she should focus on as she gets older.
1: I would say be less scared. Scared, yeah. Yeah, Just be less time. scared. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think there's certain things I wish I'd done when I was younger, and, um, you know, wish I sort of carried on, like traveling more. I would love to have lived abroad. I would love to have had the experience of working abroad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I did. I'm like, I can still do it, obviously, you know. But I think I kind of wish I'd taken more risks when I was younger. If I'm being honest, I do. You know, like people say, I don't have any regrets and all that. I don't buy that. I have lo- <laughs> I have loads of regrets. But I think the key is not to live in them for too long and just sort of move on and think, what can I do about the now and the, the then? Forget about the yeah, past, you know.
0: Regrets are uh, like awkward, like hiding in my face as I walk past them, down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's true though there's loads of, there's, there's there's quite a lot of things i wish i hadn't done if i'm being honest and there's a few things i wish i had done so i'm not afraid to say that I've,
0: I, think I, regrets regrets. I think you need regrets to you know but you always it's, unfortunately it's always going to be things you regret not doing that's just life I mean, it's, i've got no regret they're just chatting shit they've got loads of i swore sorry but um, they've got loads <laughs> of regrets well. um so in terms of coming on the podcast what, what on earth made you come on this?
1: Well, I think it's kind of like LinkedIn to your intro. Like we, both, we I reached out to you on LinkedIn um, back in January after the the exciting, yeah. not so exciting leasehold reforms were announced. And I saw your video and I really liked it. And I thought, this is different to what you normally see on LinkedIn. This is actually just, some, just a bloke telling it how he really <laughs> feels about it. And you were like speaking from the heart and you're quite emotional. And I thought, I like this. This is different. This is a different kind of professional that I'd like to connect with. And then, you know, we had a couple of chats and then we, you know, we worked together on a couple of the podcasts that we did. And, and I found that really enjoyable and we kept it a bit more lively, didn't we? And, and interesting. And I thought, yeah, I'd be quite happy to have another chat with Colin. And I like what you're doing. I think it's great.
0: Please call me Carl. I hate Colin.
1: Colin. Is it Colin when you're getting told off?
0: It, Colin, honestly, I don't like, you know, it sounds like a sex offender. It's a horrible name. Like, <laughs> it's the worst possible name. It's like you can imagine it on the front of the Daily Mail or something. I was like, "Oh God!" So call me Cole, <laughs> Cole. Cole. I, mean. I really that's hate right. Colin. It wasn't Gary. I mean, that's even worse. Like destined for a life, <laughs> destined for a life of plumbing.
1: You've just you know alienated I mean? all your Gary fans and all your no, Colin no, fans. No,
0: no, very Gary fans. I don't, I don't. know any Gary. <laughs> any Gary? I think Gary's died I don't out actually.
1: I know a couple of Collins actually, but not no Garys. I don't think so. I'm on the one Colin. Not the only Colin, I'm afraid. <laughs>
0: what, are they, like? what are they like
1: they're all right actually they're both a bit oh, crazy <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the only good thing about calling not make people up my name so people can't remember it on emails but i pick up the phone and i'm hello mate you're all right they're like oh jesus christ i thought i thought you were about 80 i was like no. yeah exactly <laughs> actually 12
1: but
0: um <laughs> but yeah so we're to the end of our little chat today um you got thirty seconds or so. What would be the dream for you? What's the real dream? What's what's Shabnam's dream?
1: To be an actress on the stage. Is it? Is yeah, it? If, if I'm being honest, yeah. Since I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actress, but it was not something that my You're parents.
0: were really Actually, saying.
1: If you can, if you got any contacts, anyone out there listening to this podcast, any connections, just just hook me up. Get them to call Man,
0: me. Got out with someone from EastEnders now, and I'm like. Oh great. That's brilliant news, that is, yeah. Cheers. It's me like just failing at life. <laughs> she can have the same spot. I would love to have done oh, it. I was like, yeah, know this lady, she must become an actress on extenders. Get down the vic. You can good on that, <laughs> I reckon.
1: I would love to have done that, but I think that's probably why I went into law actually, because I do I do enjoy what I do. So I suppose in terms of the law thing, it would be sort of continuing on this journey and getting myself out there as an expert on this field. And I want to be the person that if someone says who do I go to for least, least advice or who's an expert? I want my name to be one of the first names they say. Yeah, that's all
0: right there. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, a very,
1: it's not a very exciting dream, but it's a still a dream.
0: <laughs> Dreams don't have to be exciting. They can be mellow. That's a nice dream. That's nice. You want to be the best in your job. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, uh, I think that's something I we should always... But also, yeah.
1: but also, it's just stay, stay my authentic self throughout the journey. So not to like change who I inherently am. So still to be me.
0: That's deep. That's a deep final thought there. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for coming on today. Um I really appreciate it. Um all your details will be in the little description bit. I'm pointing at the screen like people can see it, but they can't actually see that. But they will be on the description. Um so do get in touch for anything leasehold that you need any law assistance with in Shaqnam Jigel any yoga she's a girl and any Italian fencing techniques she's also your girl <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah tune in next week